everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you being here today. We could, Today we have kind of a special guest. We are going to be speaking to Angelo Keeley regarding a specific topic, which is the importance of muscle, amino acids, body composition, health. Something that I've been preaching to my patients for a long time as they get older, they have a hell of a time maintaining adequate protein intake. Uh, Angelo is deeply involved with this and has been involved in the science around these topics. And uh, he knows how to talk about it in a way that is easy to uh, digest, not to not to uh, pun on that. Angelo Keeley is the co-founder and CEO of Keon. It's a supplement and functional food company dedicated to helping health and fitness enthusiasts live long, active, clean, energy-enhancing solutions. Angelo, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Dr. Drew. So, you know, it's, it's, it's astonishing to me in this day when people are, you know, the, the word mRNA rolls off everyone's tongues easily. And yet no one <laughs> even has a sense of what a protein is, which is what mRNA essentially puts together, <laughs> at least part of what they put together. Uh, so I guess we should start with what is a protein? I love starting there. And th- thanks again so much for having me on the show. You bet. Uh, I think there's a couple, I'm going to try to bring it together about how people think about their lives in general. Typically, I think people associate in, them, in themselves, protein has something to do with the muscles in my body, but yeah, it has something to do with mRNA, DNA. I'm not protein, even sure they, I'm not sure they even know that. <laughs> I think those words roll off the tongue these days, but I'm not sure they understand the connection, but they are so, connected. <laughs> so I'll connect it to two, I'll connect it to two main things in your life then. Protein is something that you eat. And it exists obviously in like animal protein, it exists in meat uh, and dairy products. It exists also in plants, Uh, but proteins also make up a lot of our body. And, you know, uh, I think people are sometimes familiar with the idea that over half of your body is water. Well, of the part that's actually, you know, solid mass, there's things like bones, but the rest of your body, over half of your solid mass in your body is made up of proteins. And that includes your muscles, that includes your organs, but it also includes things we don't typically think about like enzymes. Um, It includes our hair, our skin, our nails, our eyes. And also proteins are the, um, or the metabolites of proteins are our neurotransmitters. So actually our emotions come from proteins to some degree because they're actually either amino acids or metabolites of amino acids. So I would just say big picture, proteins are a big deal inside of our body. And they're also something that we eat. And the connection between those two is that typically people think about their diet if they know general you know, diet stuff is you've got carbohydrates, fats, proteins. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that is very distinct about proteins that we eat is that we eat them for a pretty different reason. Uh, the primary reason why you eat carbohydrates and fat are for energy. Um, you actually basically convert that energy that's in carbohydrates or fat into a, a source of energy within our body. It's called ATP. Protein can be used, be converted into this natural energy source for our body to move, to get up, et cetera. But the primary role of protein that we eat is actually to help rebuild all those proteins I mentioned earlier. And the reason for that is because the way that proteins function in nature and specifically in our bodies is that they're in a constant state of turnover. Old proteins are breaking down. And when they break down, they need to be rebuilt. And you need to eat protein to have the, the individual component parts to help rebuild those proteins in your body. Meaning, so amino, meaning amino acids. Amino acids. And I didn't want to mention them yet, but that's, that is what builds these proteins, both in the foods that we eat and inside of our bodies. Yeah. Keep going. You're, you're, you're building the story. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. so um, so what are you know what are proteins made up of? Uh, in our bodies, they're they're uh, practically made of 20 amino acids. So there's these little individual component parts that that string together and that form a protein. And uh, of those 20 amino acids, there's nine of them that are essential. And this debate, you'll probably hear about complete proteins, incomplete proteins, when people arguing between eating animal protein or plant protein. And what they're getting to is that there's these nine uh, essential amino acids that we need for a very specific reason. The reason why they're called essential, when we talk about nutrition, we're in the subject of nutrition and we name things as essential, it's because our body can't synthesize them. Some things our body, our organs, like our liver can actually uh, synthesize new amino acids out of some of the other amino acids. Or sugars, but, even some of them. Or sugars, yes. Exactly. Yeah, you can actually convert uh, amino acids into sugars via okay. gluconeogenesis. But some of the amino acids, these nine essential ones, your body can't. It simply can't make them, so you must eat them. There's also some essential fatty acids that your body must eat. But these essential amino acids that are in proteins that we eat, um, I think one thing that's often overlooked is that not only are do you have to eat them, because our body can't synthesize them. But as we've done a lot of research over the last 20 years, we have uncovered that they actually are the active component of protein. Hmm. So when we eat protein, what happens is, let's just say a piece of chicken. I eat a piece of chicken and inside that chicken, it's not only protein. There's also some fat, some carbs, but in the protein itself, uh, it gets it gets digested and broken down by enzymes into these individual uh, amino acids. And of those, there's these 20. And of those 20, nine of them are, have, a, have a very specific role in actually stimulating new protein synthesis, in telling our body to build new proteins. Mm. So when we've done studies that basically mimic the meat of chicken, we'll give, we'll give an adult uh, a dose of only the nine essential amino acids equal to what would be in chicken. The nine essential amino acids plus the amount of non-essential amino acids that are also in the protein in chicken, and then only the amount of non-essential amino acids that would be in that chicken, the, 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 the first set, the one with the essential amino acids, creates the exact same amount of protein synthesis, encouraging the body to build new proteins, as did the one that was mixed, and the one with, no, with only the non-essential amino acids, there was zero. No, pro, no protein synthesis was induced. That's interesting. Yeah. And so what we've uncovered is I think typically people think you, you have to do resistance training or you have to do some type of uh, physical exertion to communicate to your body, hey, let's build new proteins or at least let's build new muscle. But it's actually not true. Uh, it is a very um, it's the most effective way to communicate to your body to build new to build new muscle, to build new muscle protein. But actually just the consumption of essential amino acids themselves in a high enough or sufficient dose will encourage the body to build uh, new muscle, new proteins, but ultimately I think oftentimes what people are most interested in is new muscle protein and the essential amino acids are that, are that truly important part. And I think this just becomes, um, really significant to people, uh, in general. I think if you're trying to think about, Hey, what do I eat? How do I choose the right protein sources? You really want to be choosing proteins that are high in these essential amino acids. Sure. But if you're in any kind of, um, you have a, if you have a specific situation, if you're an aging adult that's starting to struggle with the issues of sarcopenia, where it's more yeah, difficult so to maintain your muscle mass. Yeah. That, that, is an ex that is everybody, frankly, after the age of 75 or so, certainly after 85, is the muscle, penia just means reduction or loss. Uh, it's like, like osteopenia, very little bone, loss of bone. 
and sarcopenia, sarco is muscle. And it is very, very common. I, I, I preach this to my patients. I always have, they don't listen. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe proteins become less appealing in foods as you get older, or you just people's appetites diminish. So they're not able to keep up with protein consumption. And certainly as you get much older, they have trouble swallowing and that kind of stuff too. So I'm guessing Keon has solutions for that. Yes? Yes. So one of the, I'll give one more example of what happens with protein and digestion as you age. You said 75, it actually starts as early as 30, 35. The age of 40 though, it gets more and more significant. Um, As you age, your ability to break down protein into the individual amino acids And then for that to stimulate new protein synthesis to help you rebuild your organs, to help you build new muscle, et cetera, becomes diminished. And it gets progressively worse every single decade. Uh, There are certain cases too, if you have an illness or um, significant hormonal changes like uh, menopause, exacerbate this even more. Um, But in that case, it's not that protein becomes less effective, but it, uh, sorry, it's not that the protein itself is... um, like less effective, but your body's ability to break it down to stimulate new protein synthesis is diminished. And thus, one way that you can overcome that is through consuming free-form essential amino acids. You can basically consume the essential amino acids that are in the protein without all of the other non-essential amino acids, without the carbohydrates, without the fat, in an ideal dose that maximally stimulates muscle protein synthesis in the body. So they've actually... Back to your chicken experiment. When you- Back to your chicken experiment, only consume the essential amino acids and you consume them free form in a way that doesn't require di- digestion. And that's truly the ideal formula for it. I've actually done a study in elderly women. So this is a slightly older group than say 30, 40 year olds. But I think the median age was 65 in this group that three grams of these essential amino acids had the same uh, increase in protein synthesis as 20 grams of whey protein. So there's over six times the impact. Um, now, I think at you know, an age of like 30 to 40, it's less so. But basically, uh, what Keon offers um, is an essential amino acid complex that is ideally formulated to maximally stimulate new protein synthesis in the body in a way that is more efficient than a whole food protein. In no way is that to replace, you know, eating a well-balanced diet, et cetera. But as we age or as we want to be more physically active and our need for essential amino acids increases, this is a great way to supplement, which I think that's the idea of supplements, right? Is to, to, uh, help accommodate, uh, changes in your, in your medical situation, changes in your overall health, uh, desires to have maybe, um, additional endurance, um, or to, uh, you know, reduce caloric intake while at the same time being able to increase the amount of essential amino acids that you get. My buddy, Peter Atia has been talking lately about, he's a longevity guy and he was saying how important muscle mass is in terms of in determining longevity, that, that the amount of muscle you have at a certain age is more predictive of how long you live than just about anything. So falling is reduced, obviously, with that kind of thing. Consequence of falling is reduced with muscle mass. But that, that's why he, he has sort of gone away from intermittent fasting because his position is you got to keep that muscle mass up. It's so important. And muscle mass is not only important to maintain high activity levels, which are clearly correlated to not just longevity, but overall well-being as you age. The thing that people don't realize is that briefly connecting back to what we talked about earlier, we're in this constant state of, of protein turnover. 
well, if I'm not eating enough protein or my body is in a situation which I already fell or got hurt or I'm undergoing some kind of illness and I'm not eating, to, I'm not able to eat sufficient protein and my body has even increased needs for protein. If I don't eat enough sufficiently, what my body will do is it will actually break down my muscle tissue at an accelerated rate to fulfill the amino acid needs of all my other organs. And so it's not just like muscles, what's going to help me stay active. It's your savings account. Because at some point in life, we're going to fall. At some point in life, we're probably going to undergo some type of chronic illness. You want this reservoir of amino acids in your muscular tissue to help support you for maybe it's like two or three weeks that you're at bed rest. Or you have some kind of you know recovery situation. Again, it is so hard to get people to do it. <laughs> yeah, but back to the, the, um, the stimulating amino acids. I always have the sense that the demand for all the amino acids are up. So I'm wondering, in particular, when people have you know stresses and illness. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, do you guys have a general supplement as well as the ones that stimulate muscle muscle production? So the, I would say overall for whole body protein synthesis, there are needs in general to like stimulate muscle protein synthesis, and there's needs to stimulate whole body protein synthesis. It's a pretty similar formula. That, you, that one would create in order to enhance that. Now, there's clinical situations where people are trying to reduce fatty liver disease, for example, via amino acid combinations, um, or to overcome certain kidney issues. But overall, the formula that we have uh, utilized and developed, and it's an entirely transparent formula, you can see exactly what's in it, is based off of the research labs of the leaders in this field. Um, Dr. Robert Wolf, Dr. Arnie Ferrando, Dr. Kevin Tipton. It's widely published research that basically covers both um, issues for aging adults, for athletes. Uh, it's you know the kind of formula that was based on the NASA studies they did to help overcome uh, the loss of muscle mass in space. Uh, so really, I think um, this type of formula is a good overall wellness formula that you could consider. Like just as you're saying, it's very hard to. Uh, to get people to adopt this. It's the kind of thing where take one scoop in the morning, shake it up in some water, drink it, and boom, you've at least just added at least that kind of bare, a bare minimum additional support to your daily needs. Yeah, as I'm scheming here, trying to figure out how to get my, my patients to do this, <laughs> I know where to stop. In other words, I, my sense is they're way behind on their, on their you know, acid needs. Would I be saying, hey, just can you manage that three times a day or twice a day? Or is it really just a once a day scoop? Uh, in terms of upper intake limits, there has been no observed negative impact at any super maximal dose. And like I spoke about earlier in this NASA study, uh, or I briefly mentioned, they actually gave people 15 grams of essential amino acids six times a day on top of uh, an average diet. And by the way, the outcome of that study was, was 28 days of bed rest, no net muscle loss. And they overcome all, they overcome all of it by by simply supplementing with this additional amino acid uh, support without even having any kind of resistance exercise or movement. So what I would say is that that kind of that's a huge dose. I mean, you're never I don't think you're going to tell your patients to take no, um, but, <laughs> ninety grams a day, but you can absolutely take it one, two, three times a day. But the kidney a little bit. I worry about them getting nauseated. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going uh-huh. on. Um, very- the kidney. Kidney is an interesting point, though, Doctor Drew, because again, this is not my area of expertise. But if you look into the research of these uh, these leaders in the field, essential amino acids are um, again, and I would not endorse that's not that's the purpose of this product, but they're actually uh, 
potentially a great clinical use case to help replace protein because you utilize all of the essential amino acids. And so you don't have the tax of, of your kidneys having to process the non-essential amino acids that are in a whole food protein. And instead, they better utilize the breakdown of the non-essential amino acids from your existing muscular tissue, et cetera. So it's actually those labs that I spoke to earlier, they're, they're actually using it clinically for, um, for people with kidney disease. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I've always felt that the, you know, the issue of protein intake for people with young, normal kidneys has been overstated. It's an issue when people have diseased kidneys. Uh, so I, I don't worry about it that much. I, I, how about the acid content of the amino acid? Does it overwhelm the stomach sometimes? People get any kind of stomach upset or anything of that sort? It's very uncommon for any kind of upset like that. Um, I think particularly like in a standard dose of, of five grams, you have one scoop. It's, it's very unlikely. This is Watkins. Welcome with Bridget Pettisey. I love hearing people's stories of resilience and grit. This is why I created this podcast. We are very excited to welcome Jim Gaffigan, Yasmin Mohammed, Glenn Beck, Tim Dillon, Abigail Schreier, Jeff Garland, Ayan Hirsi-Ali, Sam Harris, Heather Hying, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Greenwald, Sarah Shahi, Colin Quinn. If there's a culture of victimhood, then let's tell stories of grit and survival. Subscribe and listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We, you know, we've been talking about uh, elderly people and women, and, and women do have a little more need sometimes because of the hormonal shifts and whatnot, and uh, can reduce some of the symptomatology too associated with that. But young, healthy people can benefit from this too. And of course, athletes, most, most people that work out and are interested in fitness kind of know about this. What might they be missing though? What, what, uh, what do you worry about that they may not know or they might be not thinking about? I think for athletes, many have been exposed to the solution of branch chain amino acids, which is only three of the amino acids that are part of this essential amino acid group. And the literature is pretty clear now that uh, that's a waste of your money. So I think that's just the, probably the most important thing, thing I would say is you don't, don't spend your money on branch chain amino acids. Definitely look for an essential amino acid solution that has all nine of them, and that gives you a transparent formula. Other than that, what I would say is um, I think oftentimes people have thought about essential amino acids primarily as a recovery supplement in mm-hmm. fitness. It's similar to how people think, I'm going to go you know, lift weights, I'm going to drink protein afterwards. The synergistic effect of consuming essential amino acids with resistance training really can't be understated. Um, If you consume essential amino acids before you do some weightlifting, um, you will have a significant increase in muscle protein synthesis through the combination of the two. Um, And relative just to to like a whey protein, uh, if you consume um, essential amino acids, this is in a young, healthy adult outside of the context of aging or illness or anything else you'll have three times the muscle protein synthesis as you would from consuming protein before uh, working out. And the, the simple reason for that is you don't have to digest it. It's immediately available to the bloodstream. And our understanding is that the, the more quickly that it enters into the muscle tissue, the greater the spike in the muscle protein synthesis. And when you combine that with the resistance training, it just has this really important synergistic effect. So I would just say you can take it before you work out 
to uh, both in increase the efficiency and the effectiveness of your exercise. You can take it uh, before or during to improve your endurance. It'll also help prevent muscle fatigue. And you can take it afterwards to help prevent uh, additional muscle protein breakdown and improve your recovery period. So it's really, it's like a pre-workout. It's an intro workout. It's a after workout that can improve really all of those, those uh, use cases. Vince me. And then my last question really is, <laughs> Where's the balance amino acids? Is that just based on current available research or did you have, is this proprietary in some way, how you figured that out? Uh, it's, it's not proprietary. Um, these researchers that I mentioned, there's, you know, there's hundreds of studies that they've done with different groups, et cetera. Um, we hired an independent third-party research lab, someone and a, a group of them had actually been involved in some of these research studies to compile all of the research to look at what the, you know, basically the consolidation of what all of this said. And it gave a, it gave pretty clear guidance. Um, and basically what that is, I'll say to you here, and you can look for it, any other products, you want to start with the amounts of amino acids as they exist in human skeletal muscle. So if we actually took a sample of human skeletal muscle, you would see what that breakdown was. You then would want to increase the amount of leucine to be 40% of the final formula increase the other two branch chain amino acids, isoleucine and valine to maintain their original proportions, and then increase the amount of lysine uh, because it is slower to enter the muscle fiber and thus can, you know, have a, um, it can't be a bottleneck basically in that process. And they've, you know, they've done, these groups have done study after study after study after study. And so they've been iterating on their own studies and it's pretty, it's published within all of their literature. Limiting factor in terms of yep. the geometry. Well, very interesting review, Andrew. I appreciate it so much. People can go to getkion.com, G-E-T-K-I-O-N, getkion.com slash D-R-D-R-E-W, Dr. Drew. Are we giving them some special discount? By going yeah, you can, you can get 20% off. Fantastic. I, I'm gonna, I am <laughs> really convinced I need to be taking amino acids prior, your amino acids prior to working out. I, I've been looking for some sort of I, some sort of supplement because I knew I was again. I'm old enough now that I've got to do something. It is it is not not it's no fooling anymore. So uh, I appreciate it. Is there anywhere else you want people to go, Angelo? I think that's it. Yeah, I think if you're interested, that that link you sent, you can learn everything else you want to learn about it. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful to get to have the opportunity to share this information and expose more people to to this this opportunity. You know how passionate you are about this, and hopefully people will take. I, I I really look forward to the chance to talk about the elderly population too. People are not, you know, this normally is marketed to athletes and people that are work fitness people, but man, I yeah, I started thinking about how much good this could do for your parents, your relatives, certainly my patients, and so think about that as well. Get Keon K I O N dot com slash drdrw. Angelo, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We are going to do just calls today, which is interesting. We've not really done that in quite some time, and we're taking calls off Twitter spaces. So we'll see what kind of questions people have. And for those of you out there on Twitter spaces, just raise your hand, and I will uh, call you one up to the podium. I can sort of randomly call you up as well. <laughs> I might do so. Kurt's giving me the thumbs up. Uh, and then once you come up, you have to also unmute yourself. And there's Daniel right to it. So let's get Daniel up here. And uh, is it ask me? It's kind of an ask me anything kind of situation here. So whatever you guys want to talk about, I am uh, uh, all about it. There How you are. doing, boss? Can you hear me? I got you loud and clear. What's happening? 
Not much, brother. Um, yeah, and ask you anything. Yeah. I literally clicked on the space and somehow was the first person. <laughs> I didn't have the time to think of the question. Oh, give me, where are you now? Give me just a moment. Where are you? Where are you, where are you calling me from? How about that? I'm calling you from Montana, where the uh, we have quite a lot of wildfires. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me that it's uh, uh, insane around the country that we have wildfires, but this is a normal natural process, happens every year. Um, but what's new is that they've got these gigantic helicopters that come right over my house and they're mm. running 24 hours a day. Are you, where, uh, where, what part of Montana everything. are you in? Northwest, Kalispell. Oh, same as the headquarters, headquarters of Black Rifle Coffee Company. Same, same area. So pretty. So Montana, I, I, nothing makes me happier than going to Big Sky and skiing. That's my favorite thing. Heck yeah, man. It's, yeah. it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> All right, well, you, but do, and are they doing? They, you know, my when I look at these horrible fires and things, I know what's happening here in California, which is they're not doing forestry management. Uh, the one thing I've said, I've always, I've said for years now. When I was a kid growing up in Southern California, you'd look up at the foothills and they would be crisscrossed with fire breaks. They'd be everywhere. And then all of a sudden, the migration of some mouse came into question. They stopped doing fire breaks. And fire, <laughs> no, it's literally what happened. And then they just oh, yeah. started ignoring forestry management. And guess what? When you get fires, they get big. So interestingly enough, on the same topic, a very good friend of mine, I'm a carpenter. He's a, a, a master carpenter and a woodworker. And uh, he was, uh, we, we had a conversation today about that exact topic. And the, in the old days, meaning only 25, 30 years ago, the firefighters were the loggers. Mm. And they put the fires out because they had a financial incentive to do so. Hmm. Um, since then, it's now become a bureaucratic nightmare. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm not disparaging the firefighters. Well, not most of them, but, I've, you know, I've also been on fires where the guys are literally walking around saying, yeah, don't put it out yet. It's the end of the season. Oh. You know, we're not, we're not going to get on another one. We, we all need to make our money. Wow. Because it's, yeah, that's, I'm that's not a whole layer to this I'd not heard before. That's interesting. Yeah. No, they used to be firefighters and, and now they're not. So these things tend to get out of control. More interestingly, the, the wildfires in Arizona are very fucking different from the wildfires in Montana because we have old growth forests and the lowest canopy is 40 feet high. Mm, exactly. So you get it. But Arizona is all grass fires. Yeah, right? or, or it's a chaparral like we have in Southern California. Same kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, there's, it doesn't get into the crown. And it, when it gets into the crown, man, does it blow up. So that same fire that I just shared that anecdote about where the guys were like, yeah, don't put it out yet. They did a control burn to try to control it. But these guys are from Arizona. They have no idea what they're doing. None of them have ever been on a, a, a true Western forest fire where we are easily 50 miles from the nearest house. What do you think went in, wrong in any in, direction? In, other than the incredible winds, what do you imagine went wrong in Hawaii? <sighs> that is a great question. Um, you know, what's interesting about that question is that I I'm, was a firefighter. I was a medic. I was a lot of things. And I have seen zero uh, post-mortem on that. Mm. Literally none. Mm. Um on any of the social media channels that I'm still a part of, any of the friends that I still, it's, it's very, that's a very odd situation. Yeah. It makes um, you, it makes you immediately, you know, your the paranoid thinking kicks in. It's like, what are they hiding? What's going on here? Why aren't they be more transparent? 
I, I, yeah. I, I cannot, even I get that way and I'm very much not that way. And, and I don't understand why people don't get that humans become suspicious when information is withheld. You have to just fresh air, sunlight. That's what gets people their thinking right. Then they make their own decisions. Oh, well. Ideally, that would be the situation, yeah. Yep. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I don't want to get too conspiratorial on yeah. it. I, I don't have an opinion on it. Yeah. The most I'll say about it is that it's shocking to me that I've seen zero post-mortem on it as far as what could have been done better, what teams were on it. Uh, and I, the hurricane that supposedly caused the winds that uh, created that hellstorm was 800 miles away at the time of hmm. the blow-up. Interesting. So I'll, I'll say that much for it because I don't know much more else about it because there isn't anything being said about exactly. it on the channels. Exactly. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for coming up. I'm going to bring Kurt up here next. Again, recall that you got to unmute yourself, lower left-hand corner there. We are just taking calls today. There's no specific topic. Anything you guys want to talk about, just raise your hand and I will call you up to be a speaker. Go ahead there, Kurt. Uh, first of all, this is an honor. Thank you, Dr. Drew. Uh, I remember watching yourself and Adam in my dorm room when I was in college. Crazy. And where, where were you in college? Let's set the full scene. Where were you? Uh, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Nice. Sir. He and I, the first college, I think, though, the second college he and I ever spoke at was Northern Illinois. Gotcha. Yep. DeKalb. Yep. Yep. In DeKalb, um, where they, they immediately took us around. That's so funny you would say that. And they, they, had, they wanted to show us two things. They couldn't stop talking about it. A, Cindy Crawford was born there. Is that right? Cindy Crawford's hometown. Sounds right. And, yeah. and number two, the birds where they discovered barbed wire. Barbed wire was invented wow. here, right? Well, I just learned something too now. <laughs> so nutty. Right. Yeah, well, whatever it takes, I guess. But uh, I, I mean that, though. That's just truly a big fan, a big, big honor. And thank you for taking this. Um, uh, I wanted to take you down a little bit different path, I guess, with yes. you know what's going on with social media and kind of get your take on the whole Tiffany Gomas thing, you know, AKA the crazy plain lady yeah. and, and her latest, I guess, speaking to the media, to us on social media and kind of what your thoughts were through the whole process. How it, I mean, when it first came out, what you thought and what you think now. All right. I, I didn't give it a lot of thought. So let's kind of walk through it and see if I can come okay. up with some thoughts. I saw it, obviously it was a funny meme. I mean, everyone was very entertained by it. I felt terrible for her uh, just watching that. I didn't know when I'd seen the original memes that she had a problem with security and continued to try to get the flight delayed or, or, you know, canceled and then went back in security after being kicked out. That was a little bit disturbing, actually. Uh, and, And I still don't know what it was that spooked her with the guy in the hoodie. Right? Isn't that right. sort of the story? There's some kid in the that's hood what, that that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. If you believe that there is something more to it at right now in her latest statement, she's not alluding to any kind of information other than she did mention uh, mental health awareness. Right. But I don't know if anything else. Uh, what, what I'm getting at really is that other um, social sites are stating that there's more to this. There has to be more to this. She's no. not telling us everything. No. So I don't, that's where I'm, you know. I, I, felt, be, uh, I felt really seeing her, you know, when she's reconstituted, I felt bad for her. There definitely could easily be a uh, psychiatric, you know, explanation for the whole thing. And that's probably what it was. I mean, people have strange thinking. People can get frightened and spooked and have strange outbursts. I don't know what her underlying condition might be. It, it, it's not obvious. That's for sure. 
Um, but she got pretty worked up about whatever. And did you ever, did you see the interview or the, I guess it was sort of a, sort of a commentary, sort of like a monologue by a guy who was looking at the guy in the hoodie. Did you ever see that guy on, on social media? I did. I, I did see that. And everybody called it false, right? That's the one you're speaking of. Well, I don't know. I didn't follow it that carefully. So all I know is this guy said the guy did look a little weird and he wasn't talking and he winked at him when he looked at him for a period of time. But you know, I, I would love to see that guy come forward and explain what the hell happened to be fascinating. Right. And supposedly he has, and they showed a, a gentleman he's sitting on a bench in the airport speaking to, I don't know, even sure who he's speaking to as a member of uh, media or not. Um, but he was answering their questions and he, he, he uh, it, we don't know if that's actually the guy she's speaking to. So that still remains a mystery. Right. This is Below Deck's Captain Lee. Listen to my new podcast, Salty with Captain Lee. Um, don't you mean our podcast? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Anyhow, listen to Salty with Captain Lee, co-hosted by my assistant, Sam. And we will be talking about the latest pop culture news and all the gossip every week. So does this mean we have to talk by ourselves, about ourselves, or can we at least have some guests on? I don't know, I find myself pretty interesting, but yeah, we can have some guests on. Some of our reality TV friends and some stars. Works for me. Listen to Salty now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But it is a, it is a, again, this is a, you know, this is a, the topic we were sort of talking about in the previous caller, which is paranoid thinking, right? People naturally are, are some people a lot more than others, but all humans, when they are given restriction to information, they get suspicious, they can get paranoid, they start confabulating and filling in, and they we just how our brains work. And the what the way you combat that is with information, lots of it. Just keep putting it out there and don't and look and let all the people talk and have weird theories. But you know, what are the weird theories about who that guy is? Yeah, I mean, he went from he didn't have eyes to he had uh, alien eyes to he had black eyes, you know, and a hoodie and obviously. And then, you know, the AirPod theory where he stole her AirPods, you know, and, yeah. and that, you know, there's it it's just that there. he hasn't put, really given it all out there to be examined because slowly but surely the truth will emerge. Exactly. Very interesting. Thanks, Kurt. Very interesting kind of topic. Uh, oh, did you have another thing you wanted to uh, ask? I, you started, I kind of interrupted you there. Uh oh. Uh oh, lost him. All right, this is uh, Citizen K. Sorry, Kurt, I, I seem to have done you wrong. Uh, Citizen K, do you have to mute that microphone lower left hand corner? You're hello. Hey, what's yes. up? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, um, hey, first, first of all, I wanted to thank you for your show. I, I uh, first uh, started listening to you again um, back on the clubhouse days, and uh, was on uh, one of your shows with. If you remember Kyle Warner, the um, the guy who was the, uh, uh, you know, biker that, uh, you know, um, off-road, you know, kind of dirt biking yeah. um, guy that got uh, myocarditis. Oh, yes, yes. And, I do remember him. Yeah, that was the first time yeah. we were kind of hearing that stuff, right? Exactly. And it was the same, same with me. Um, I was kind of going through the same 
issues and talked a little bit with you guys about it. Oh, I remember. I, really- I remember being surprised that somebody, you know, was just randomly listening on Clubhouse and also had myocarditis. That, that was sort of alarming to me, actually. Well, what was interesting is that I've, I've kind of been watching how you're – I've been kind of going on a similar trajectory where I've slowly been, you know, kind of seeing things a lot differently than I had yep. uh, in the medical profession. And yeah. that's, that's kind of where I wanted to go. Um, Cause a lot of the things that, that you're kind of talking about now are things that I've, I've been doing. Like uh, I've actually been eating that out uh, for a while now. So um, I, I think it has similar um, to, you know, the natokinase. Yeah. My, uh, my wife eating, is a eating. huge advocate. She, she just had COVID again and she's really doubling down on that. So, yeah, so it's, we, yeah. we have to try something. It's certainly not harmful. And this, this is a supplement made by the wellness company, that sponsored one of my streaming programs and, and they, they are trying to come up with stuff to pull spike protein out of tissue. It's a controversial right. topic. It's a controversial intervention. People, some, a lot of people claim that there is no persistence of spike protein. And yet, as you know, uh, if you've been watching my stream, I've been talking to pathologists that are looking at tissue that they're finding spike protein and we're finding it in ovaries. We're finding it in uterus. We're finding it in heart. And, uh, you know, I just talked to a guy named David Martin, who people have seen apparently three billion times, yes. a, me- a meme of him speaking to the European Union. And he's been fighting biowarfare stuff since the 90s. And his claim is that the coronavirus and the spike protein was originally being studied back in the 90s at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, by a guy yeah. named... Um, Crap, I've got his name written down. Ralph Ralph Barrick. Barrick and that yeah. they were specifically targeting rat heart with the spike protein. Cardi you know, yeah. cardium of the rat of the of the rabbit, rather. And that was like, oh my God, this is there's so many layers to this kind of peeling away. I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but well, it's just I more actually, information yeah. coming all the time. Yeah, no, I saw I saw the when when he first talked at the EU uh, yeah. it was several months back, I actually saw that. Um and was kind of okay. That's that's an interesting uh, scenario. Yeah. So, but one of the the things I wanted to ask you directly yeah. um, was, um, I know that you've been talking keto, and I have been on a, a protocol for about the past three and a half, four years, uh, where I, I've been intermittent fasting, and yes. I've been more on, onto a keto type diet, and. All my blood work has just gone absolutely awesome. Yeah. Everything is great. Everything, you know, uh, my insulin is low. I, my, I, you know, I, I don't have any, you know, kind of issues with with anything. My triglycerides are low, but my damn LDL is high. Yeah, and and I'm, uh, and of course they don't check for uh, ApoB or um, you know the the size of the LDL, which I am reading has a lot to do with it that if you have yes. fluffy ldl you can have very high ldl yes i've seen doctor cardiologists talk about you know people in their 90s with 250 you know 300 right. and in great shape and have done you know check uh, their arteries for calcification and nothing's happening but of course the first thing that, that happens is is uh, you know they want to put you on a statin even right. though everything else is great, including all my cholesterol numbers are all good, except for my LDL, yeah. which obviously pushes up my total cholesterol. Well, and, I, and, and I just and we've been very focused on LDL for many years now. That's sort of where we think we needed to put our emphasis. But there's, you know, there there are now. I I've been using Quest Labs at my office 
new, they have a new sort of um, sophisticated, very sophisticated lipid profile that includes LPPLA2 as well as LP little a and ApoB and all these different markers. They're hard to interpret. It's not, it's not that easy. I got to tell you, sometimes I end up with more right. questions than, than answers, but, but you can start to go down that path of looking at, you know, the VLDL and the various sizes of the LDL. You're, you're essentially me. So I, that's what I am. I have uh, insulin resistance, central obesity, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, my HDL would never budge with uh, changing my fat intake. It went up when I eliminated carbohydrates. My triglycerides, my triglycerides would never go down with high really restricted uh, fatty acids. It went crazy down just by mine did too. Eliminating the carbohydrates, <laughs> and yeah. I, I tell you, for this is my own personal thing with this. I could never get my LDL below one thirty or one twenty, no matter what I did. This was years ago before we had the fancier tests. And my father had horrible large vessel vascular disease, and I didn't want anything to do with that. So whatever I had to do to reduce that risk, I was willing to do it. And so before I discovered keto and carnivore and all that stuff, I went on a statin years ago. And just a whiff of Vitorin, like a third of a tablet of the lowest dose of Vitorin, which affects the, the production of cholesterol and the absorption of cholesterol, my cholesterol slammed down to 70, my LDL, just slammed down. And my calcium score in my heart has been 0.0, which given my family history is astonishing. So personally, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is same thing you're doing, but I actually do take a little uh, Vitorin, take a little statin along with that. That's me. Yeah, no, I, I was wondering, because uh, like I said, they're trying to, or my doctor's very cool. So he's, he's kind of on the fence about it, but yeah, you know, they, it, they, they have to say it and I, I get it. And, but he understands why I don't want to yeah. do it because yeah. of all, I, everything I keep reading says that if your other markers are good, and then there is also some of these cardiologists are saying that LDL is, is not bad. And actually it, there's a, there's a curve where they show that if you lower your LDL too far, you actually like, can actually, I mean, more people are having heart attacks and, and strokes uh, because of that. And it kind of curves down once you get to about, you know, 140, 150. Well, at at goes- very minimum, you are likely, again, I'm not going to say something categorical about this, but you are likely not decreasing your all-cause mortality and you may be increasing it. That's what people worry about. Right. Uh, and so... Again, I'm a little, you know, this is a very personal decision. It's a hard you, question. Yeah, yeah, you have to make with your doctor. I'm glad you're informed about it. But why don't you get that those fancier tests? They're now That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in L.A. too, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, do it. Um, Quest has this new sheet uh, that really just filled with interesting markers. And I don't know how expensive it is. I'm sure insurance doesn't necessarily cover it. But they, they've got no, the, they you, don't. You can get the full. <laughs> you can get the full breakdown. I don't know where to go. All right, man. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, thank thanks. you for calling. Appreciate it. Yep. All bye. Right. Uh, let's see. This is a Justin. Going to get Justin here. And, and again, to, for those of you that are just popping in, we are just taking calls. It's a podcast I'm doing, recording this, and uh, just taking calls on any topic, whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm, I'm uh, all ears. And you, when you do step up, and I will call you up to the platform, and you have to unmute the microphone in the lower left hand corner. That's how the Twitter spaces work. So, and it gets a little glitchy. So, I have to wait a minute sometimes. 
There you are. Justin, what's happening? How you doing, sir? Good. I'm Justin Boston. I got to tell you, man, my parents kept me out of sex ed in the late 90s, and I was just listening to you and Corolla all night on Love Live. Hopefully that did the trick. No, it did. I learned something about scrambled porn on, you know, the uh, – <laughs> it was interesting, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, my. Um, well, I had an interesting um, rehab. I actually got over um, – a 70-foot fall that basically cut me in half because I had a seizure while I was free climbing. Oh, my Alcohol, God. PTSD at the same time from a family member bleeding to death in front of me all in about a four-year period. Oh. And I got myself without pain meds and without a physical therapist in a year and a half. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Slow down. Slow down. You, that's too much for me to process. So you were oh, yeah. you were free climbing or you were were you – climbing and the head of the uh, neurology clinic that I was seeing was trying to treat epilepsy with gabapentin. So, uh, yeah. And she crashed detoxed me off of before what I was taking, which was Valium. So I don't remember. Oh, grads. oh boy. Oh, well, boy. I woke up, couldn't move my legs. It was interesting. Be- because you'd broken your back, essentially? Yeah. I have three pieces of bull spine in me. I blew my leg out sideways and I cut myself completely in half. My liver had to grow back and everything. Well, you see, you cut yourself in half where your, your intestines spilled out on the, on the rocks. Oh yeah. I stood up and then my leg went, I asked for a cigarette. My leg went sideways and then my buddies got me out of there. Thank God my, my best friends in residency and was able to save my life and get me a helicopter. Oh, God. All right. But, then you um, got through that without a physical therapist. You got a physical therapist on on basically Mass Health, which is the worst healthcare plan you could find. Like you're in Massachusetts, they park uh, you on a curb and they tell you go to the other side of the state for physical therapy. So literally, what I did was spinal injections. I would duct tape my leg up and my torso, and I would just work out, smoking weed and chain smoking Winston's. <laughs> so, and I mean, I can do pull. Up. I can't run now, but I can do pull ups with a shattered spine. So, what, what is what is the what is the nature of your seizure disorder? Um, I have left temporal lobe epilepsy. It runs in my family tree. Okay. I'm good at music, but I'll get hit by auras since I was a little kid. And if yeah. you can't think about them and get it under control, you're going to drop. You know? Yeah. So they're called partial complex seizures. They you first have this sort of some sort of behavioral or, or sensorial thing, and then they generalize. Yeah, everything real surreal, and it's like a 1920s movie. It all slows down, sounds move behind you that are in front of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't had a seizure in four years because I actually went to the head of a hospital here in Boston in neurology. He gave me Lamictal. It stopped it immediately. I haven't had a seizure in four years. Yeah, these are good medicines. And then uh, you then saw somebody bleed to death? What happened here? Yeah, my father had a kidney failure after years of chemotherapy, blood death in front of me. So I basically snapped, drank for four years, triggered a bunch of seizures. So I got myself, I got my epilepsy under control, detox off Valium, drinking, and learned how to walk again in like a five-year period, six-year period. some crazy <laughs> shit, dude. Right, you should read yeah. a book. Uh, well, the doctor's telling me I should go do some self-help. I work in campaign politics now. I need to get the hell out. I mean, it just makes me angry. I don't want to help people. It sounds terrible. <laughs> That sounds good, especially given what you've been through. I mean, it sounds uh, like a, I'm not, I don't know how you could use all that experience in, in campaign politics. You yeah, know I, I mean? know. I, I'm just surrounded by sociopaths here in Boston. It's great. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Nasty people here. You know what I'm saying? I live near Cambridge and Wellesley and all these places, like 15 oh. minutes away. So, but during my rehab, I'm telling you, because it was during COVID, I got that too, the first one in 2019. That's, fine, you, that, you, that's a nice one. That, yeah, because yeah, 
all in Boston and when all the college students were coming back and they're having medical um, conventions and stuff. So I got it on the computer rail. But I mean, the first one will knock you out. But then I caught it three more times. So yeah. I just started progressively weaker and weaker. I mean, I went to football game down in the Superdome in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and I got dealt, obviously, because it's like 90% humidity mm-hmm. and 80,000 people. But, yeah, for basically for my rehab, what really kept me sane, though, was was practicing music. So I'm a guitarist, so I got way better at, at music and just sitting there playing guitar when you can't walk. So I, I really don't think people appreciate alternative medicines and mind over matter. And and there's, I've been running into more young people whose uh, force of will is extraordinary. You know, that you guys decide you're going to do something and you just do it. I I don't know how to have any judgment around that, what the parameters for that should be, but I've noticed there's a lot more of that, not a lot more. I've noticed some more of that than I'm accustomed to these days. You're certainly one of those people. Well, I mean, I felt like, because you have two options when you're in my position, you can play, roll yourself into traffic or you can get up because there's no panacea. No well, one's help you, you can also figure out how to get more help, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than just willing your way through it, you can get more, I mean, physical therapy would have been very useful for you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I went to military academy so when I was younger, the same one as Trump hilariously. <laughs> oh my God, that is hilarious. Oh yeah, that place is like it's it's juvenile hall for rich children run by drunken Vietnam vets. It's crazy. <laughs> oh you gotta write a like, book, Justin. You have to write a book, please. We have campus like suicide there. They locked down the whole thing during the Iraq invasion. It was crazy. So I mean, the place is tapped. But uh, I mean, alternative medications, mind over matter. So basically, you just have to get into a, a dick measuring competition with fate, and just I will not be denied. And you just know, don't know what you're upset at but you are motivated and in a battle. So when you get back into a corner, you know, some people can handle it. Some people can't, but it's really a mental game. So it's a, it's a tenuous tightrope walk that you have to do to maintain your sanity. Cause you're in a very animalistic state at that point. And it's very fight, fight or flight. I don't remember a year and a half of my rehab. Cause you're in such hellish pain. You can't function, you know? I bet. Well, but- I'm fine now, and I love you, and I love Corolla. You guys have helped me my entire life since I was like 13. Well, and I'm like thank 13. you, Justin. I, I, I just it's delighted to hear your story, and I'm so glad you're with us and well and and uh, thriving, my friend. Write the book. Globally, humans are facing massive problems that are widely ignored by governments and the media. Like personal space invaders. I had it with these couples that sit on the same side of the booth. Yak mouths. Stupid stick figure bumper stickers. Almond milk. You cannot milk an almond. Hi, I'm Jennifer. And I'm Angie. We call her Pumps, and we're the hosts of I've Had It. Pumps, tell the listener where they can find us. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nailed it. See you next Tuesday. Uh, Miss Haversham is coming up next. Uh, we'll give her a chance to come up, ask a question, whatever it might be. Long COVID looks like you're suffering from that or have suffered from that. I had that myself. That was a, a, a lovely experience. Had it twice, actually. Uh, you got to be sure to unmute the mic or on the lower left-hand corner of your phone. You'll see that little circle with the microphone uh, in the middle of it. It's got a, there you are. What can I do for, hey, what can I do for you? Um, actually, you just brought up the long COVID thing. I was wondering, I didn't even know that you had a podcast or were on Twitter or anything, but I just happened to pop on Twitter and saw your, um, 
Right. Uh, yeah. Jesus. So speaking of long COVID, <laughs> mm. um, have you done any podcasts about it or do you know any updated information? I have long COVID. I've had it since 2021. Yeah. I've, d- I've done a lot of stuff on it. Uh, mm. It's still a very confusing landscape. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. Um, did you get, I, I have seen and interviewed and, and, you know, publicly interviewed people that have long COVID from COVID and people that have long COVID from the vaccine. And mm-hmm. actually some of the more s- severe reactions I've seen in some dear friends of mine who were high functioning, energetic people were from yeah. the vaccine. So in your case, was it from the illness or the vaccine itself? It was actually from the illness. Yeah. Um, I was like two weeks away from getting vaccinated. Yeah. And um, I got, <laughs> I had pneumonia. And got long COVID yeah. after having like an uh, endoscopy for my throat. End up getting it, and 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 I haven't I haven't worked I haven't been able to work since then. Oh, that's awful. And people don't appreciate yeah. how bad it is, and, and unfortunately, no, I'm, yeah, I'm going I'm going broke. I'm, oh I'm, I'm I'm I've lost my I'm losing my job at the end of this month. I'm losing health insurance at the end of this month. And and, I, I get one of the things that makes me angry about the long COVID literature is I was just reading some. Uh, sort of basically compiled literature and uh, they were doing a little quiz at the end of the, at the end of the, the uh, publication, like long COVID is associated with, and the point they were trying to make was people who have uh, or describe themselves as emotional and maybe histrionic. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? I have seen long COVID in situations with people that yeah. are completely healthy emotionally are actually stoic, yeah. if anything, and uh, I, I get furious when I see that stuff. Now, yeah. it, it, like whenever there's any new syndrome out there, it, it becomes a complex bag. There can be a lot of different kinds of, you know, syndrome specifically doesn't mean, let me put it this way. Syndrome is not a diagnosis. Syndrome may right. be a whole series of diagnoses, but presenting with a very similar spectrum of symptomatology. Right. And um the there's a group called covidlawhaulers.com that is doing a lot of interesting work. I've been interviewing those guys for a couple of years now and sort of keeping track of their research. And one of the things that they have found in the individuals that have the extreme fatigue, the persistent fatigue and mental mm-hmm. fogginess is persistent spike protein in what are called non-classical monocytes. These are essentially cells that enter across the blood-brain barrier, get into the central nervous system, usually do a little cleanup, and then die. They, they have an apoptotic cycle, it's called. They just sort of dissolve. Mm-hmm. And something about the spike protein in the cytoplasm of these cells, which they have documented, causes these cells to live on and not go through their cycle of apoptosis and in their persistence seem to be causing a lot of inflammation. And there are things like VEGF, there's these markers for CNS inflammation that are up in everybody that has this syndrome, particularly the ones that have a lot of neurological symptoms. Yeah. Uh, for me, I had this, um, God, I was just so fatigued. And it, it, when it came, I had a very mild case of Omicron and I got long COVID after that. I, I After the yeah. Omicron cleared quickly, I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a familiar feeling. It's kind of a weird, empty, sinking kind of a feeling. I had a – is that you too, having something like that? 
it's kind of like I'm there, but I'm not there. Yeah. Or I'm here, but so, not here. So I, I know what you mean. And, and two, two, I did three things that helped me. And I'm not suggesting that they're necessarily going to help you because, again, we don't know. Yeah. I, I took fluvoxamine. And fluvoxamine is a it's an old antidepressant that actually works on obsessive compulsive disorder, but it's also a CNS anti-inflammatory. It works through something called the sigma one receptor, and it causes decreased inflammation in the central nervous system. And it has shown some good efficacy in acute COVID, not so great in long COVID, but I thought, mm, I'll try it. And it worked for me immediately. I, I had persistent ringing in my ear. And within 30 minutes of taking my first dose of fluvoxamine, the ringing went away. Now it kind of came back and the fogginess kind of waxed and waned. The other thing was I worked on languages. I had this sense that if I did something either musical or language, it was just this weird feeling I had that it would help with the fogginess. It did. Uh, I can't explain it, but it did help. And then uh, let's see, one, two, what else did I do? Um, and I guess it was just time, but I had a very other, a third strange experience, which was that, <laughs> that, that I, cause I tested it out the second time I got it too, which was a glass of wine improved my, my fatigue symptoms by like 80%, but two glasses of wine <laughs> made them 300% worse, 300% worse, destroyed. It was very weird. It was very odd because, you know, you're, you're, you know, I was so much, I felt such relief when I would take a glass of wine. I go, well, I'd be two glasses. So I got to be better. And then I'd just be destroyed. It's completely destroyed. So those are the things that I did. The, the COVID long haulers guys are also using, um, I think they're using statins and they all, they have all kinds of strange things they're doing, but they claim to have some good results. So go check out COVID long haulers.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any other question for me? Um, no, I was just, I was just, I'm, I have a group. I don't know if you ever heard of um, uh, Jim Jackson, James Jackson. He's with Vanderbilt. Um, what are they doing for you? Well, he, he has a support group mm-hmm. for um, uh, long, COVID people that we do on uh, Zoom. Um, and like I said, he's in Vanderbilt, but um, he's been, he wrote, a, he just recently wrote a book actually uh, about long COVID. Um, I think it's called Clearing Out the Fog, I think. But yeah, that's, that's I, what it feels like, doesn't it? It's like you're like spider webs. It's the strangest uh, damn it's, feeling. It's insane. Like I just, I had, um, I used to be so smart and I just feel so completely stupid. <laughs> well, it's like, it's, it really is. I, I kept saying it when I had it, it's like getting hit in the head. It's a global sort of weird brain thing that has got to, I've never had a serious head injury, but that's gotta be what it feels like. And it, yeah. it fits with the physiology of the COVID too, right? We think it has a lot of, it causes endotheliitis. So the lining of arteries, particularly small arteries aren't, are inflamed and so they don't deliver oxygen normally. And so you get a kind of a global hypoxemia to your head. And that's what causes the, we think what causes the smell uh, loss of smell. And I've had, uh, you know, the ringing in the ears. I think I've lost some hearing in my ear too, which is very disturbing, but uh, yeah, COVID is no BS. It's, it's a serious illness, but, uh, but people don't, you know, young people don't die of it and the vaccines, you know, well, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, like well, we're kind but, of stuck in this like limbo. But you of, should. Well, most people are not dead, but we're not living. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I have another very close friend who got long COVID bad, like very similar to what you have. 
he's had an excellent response to, again, I'm just talking about what people are trying to Ritalin. He had a huge response to Ritalin that's helped him. So I don't know. I, but I, and you've seen this guy at Vanderbilt, he's a physician. Is that who this is? Um, Oh God. See, now my my brain's gone blank. (laughs) It's so interesting because you don't sound blunted. You sound quite, astute right and i i and this is the nature of this thing it's just you can't retrieve stuff you want you can't recall stuff you feel right. foggy or ugh, ugh. yeah it, 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 my 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 i mean i can i can remember stuff that happened before yeah i got covid mm. and i can remember everything up to the point i got covid um but anything after covid is a mystery to me. And it really, it's kind of, it kind of, it's kind of freaky because um, people will tell you about conversations mm. that you have had with this person. And you're like, I, I don't remember this conversation I've just had with you. I I, I, I don't remember this conversation. And, and it, it kind of, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, it trips you out. Disturbing. Yeah. It's, I bet it's disturbing. And how about sleep? Is your sleep disrupted too? Or is that okay? Yeah. Um, I'm on and off with the sleep. Mm. Um, sometimes like the, the chronic, the fatigue, the PM, mm. it will, it will just, it will drain me. And then there's like today, like I just had surgery, like probably about three weeks ago. For and what? it had. Now what? <laughs> it was, it was it's it's unrelated to COVID. It's just, you know, some female stuff I had done. But um the I, I was fine the first week, but after the after the first week I started noticing that I started having flare ups, mm. bad flare ups with like um my cog my cognitive impairments. Were you did you have anesthesia for the Yeah. Oh boy. That's yeah. not gonna be good. <laughs> like, I was not. Yeah. I mean it's gotta be it can only <laughs> make things worse. It can only <laughs> Anesthesia is rough. It, it is. It, it, it does more to us than we. I was talking to an anesthesiologist a couple weeks ago, and um, he was saying, "Yeah, we can't predict the cognitive effects, but in the elderly people, they often oh, take a big step down after that." So, yeah, but I'm, ha- I'm having a hard. I'm having a hard time healing. Like I'm ha- I've had, I've had plenty of surgeries before, but like I've, mm-hmm. I, I had chronic back pain before I had long COVID and I got a spinal cord stimulator. Oh my God. And then like I had that done. They, it was in 2020. It was in March of 2020. Um, and it was when they had stopped doing surgeries here where I live. And, but they considered this an emergency surgery. So they went ahead and did it. And for the first time in like four years up to that point, um, I was feeling great. Mm. But, but until I, and then I got, then I got COVID and that was horrendous. Yeah, yeah. And ever since then, like my, like things that have never hurt before. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it is constant pain. Like my knees, my ankles. I, when people get that kind it's, of sort of fibromyalgia, like symptom, I always worry yeah. that their sleep is not right. So you you really got to work on your sleep hygiene because that, that creates all kinds of terrible aches and pains. Yeah. Are you in Nashville? No, I'm in oh. China. Okay. Well, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I'm in like the, I think, I don't know. I think I'm in like the third smallest city in China, third or fourth smallest city area in, in Tennessee. Sorry. But you're not <laughs> far from, from uh, Vanderbilt. I mean, I, again, to, no, try, try I, to get, 
I, I would well, try, I would start trying stuff. I really would. Cause it's too, too much disability coming your way without trying things, you know? Yeah. Like I said, I've, I've already been denied my first social security disability um, mm. uh, application. And like I said, I'm, I'm being let go from my job at the end of the month. Yeah, I, am, I am so sorry. I, I wish I had more solutions for it, but we just do not. It's just, but, but there are, as I said, there are things to be tried. I, I have, Myself took fluvoxamine. I've seen it help other people. I've seen some of these uh, things that the COVID long haulers are doing that works. If anybody else has any questions, we're going to wrap things up here in just a second. But you just raise your hand and I'll bring you up to the podium and uh, then you unmute your mic. If you have anything you want to talk about, we are happy to talk to you here. Um, Yeah, we what one of the uh, callers, I think was Kyle. No, he referenced me talking to Kyle who'd had endocarditis. And we've been doing shows lately, a streaming program where we've been interviewing, you know, uh, people that have controversial opinions. And I have learned a a lot of them I disagree with and have no real affinity for some of the stuff they're saying. But, man, I've learned sort of an extraordinary amount from every one of them, not everyone, all except for about two or three. There's some interesting piece of information or history I have learned. Uh, Indie Girl, we're going to get her up here right now. Hey there. Hi. Hey. Can you hear me? Loud and, loud and clear. Oh, great. Um, well, I'm really anxious about talking okay. on this live, but I have a question because I've been on um, four milligrams of clonazepam for seven years now, and I've been slowly, slowly tapering. Are you taking it all at once at bedtime? Or have you been taking it throughout the day? It's, it's, um, no, throughout the day mm-hmm. and, uh, regularly scheduled. Um, and got, where are you going to say something? It's a big dose. It's a lot. I know. So what happened was, um, I, I developed severe dysphagia and I now have a feeding tube because oh my God. other efforts, I know it's kind of awful. And I'm they think all- it's from the clonazepam? No, I, that they were throwing that at me to try and help me. So it's, psychogenic really it's like pseudo dysphagia oh, and goodness. yeah i i've had um generalized anxiety disorder ocd um my whole life and okay. it just kind of really came to a head um may, may after I, I had my third baby can i Go recommend ahead. a website to you uh you know anxiety and ocd kind of overlap right there's sort of two kinds right. of anxiety and one is the ocd variety. i, I personally have that i know exactly it hasn't disabled me or anything, but it's, you know, I've dealt with my whole life. There's a website called IOCDF.org, the International Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Federation, IOCDF.org. It is the greatest disease-specific patient support website I've ever seen. I went and spoke for them one time, and they have these huge conferences every year. They are so supportive, so deep in the resources. There's so much information it just can only help. So IOCDF.org. Okay. That's great to know. Yeah. Um, so my other question about it is as I'm slowly tapering off, mm. um, you know, I'm kind of, luckily my physician is allowing me to do it uh, based on symptoms, you know, so if I take a, a bit off of my dose and I'm feeling some withdrawal symptoms or mm-hmm. just, you know, thought if, like the previous person was mentioning their long 
COVID symptoms, I was kind of wondering, do I have that too? I don't know. But, um, and because the brain fog and the fatigue mm. and all uh, that. Be hard, so it's hard to tell whether it's from the clonazepam or from the withdrawal from the clonazepam. Right. Uh, and so, so, so let's just uh, kind of go over that. So you're not an addict. You're what you call, no, you're what no. you call dependent. You're, so you're drug dependent to a medicine that has really pretty bad withdrawal associated with it. Exactly. And, and yeah. if you are an addict, I normally don't recommend tapering because it just addicts kind of always go back up. But if no. you're not, if you're not addicted, dependent tapering should work. So the question becomes, what should the strategy of tapering be? And what is it you're doing? Um, I'm, so I'm down. So it's take, I started tapering a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And so I'm down to three and a half milligrams. From four? Um, from four? Yeah, I know that like, seems kind of pathetic, but... Well, it's not pathetic because this is hard work. But but you should be... The reality is you shouldn't until you get down... I mean, you're going to notice it a little bit as you drop down. I'm sure you're aware now already. But, yeah. but I mean, you could do 10% every few weeks, you know, and, and once you get, yeah. the, the time to slow it down is when you get below two or one and a half, then you start to really feel stuff. But in these higher doses, usually people can tolerate going a little faster. Right. I, I have read that and I don't, you might be aware of the Ashton manual and that if, are you aware of that? I have heard of it. I, this is for benzo, benzo withdrawal. Yeah. 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 For tapering. Yeah. Like I, a tapering I, these things are all, I, I just am very skeptical about all these things. I, I was doing some board review stuff for the American society of addiction medicine, American board of addiction medicine. And they had like three or four different tapering strands. And they all seem dumb to me because people are so different. You have to really support right. the individual when their journey through this. Cause it's, and the different, you know, clonazepam is different than diazepam and different than Xanax. Mm-hmm. And the way the withdrawal goes is very different. As you get down in the lower doses, sometimes gabapentin can be helpful in uh, reducing the withdrawal symptoms. That's yeah. I, I'm, I'm a bit reticent of adding medication. I do take Zoloft also. And I really like, I really don't think that does anything except for at this point, except for just, existing how, how in my life <laughs> how much are you on uh a hundred yeah that's a modest dose but uh, you know, i'm not talking about gabapentin now when you're on these big doses i'm right. talking about gabapentin no. later when you get down lower so yeah so well and the other thing is is there hope that my gaba receptors will restore i'm so but i i also feel like i my IQ has dropped probably 10 points. I'm a well, scientist okay. myself. Yeah. Okay. So, so it should not permanently affect your IQ. Though taking a big dose of clonazepam can certainly affect all sorts of concentration mechanisms and memory mechanisms. So right. I'm going to blame the medicine. I'm not going to say that you had injury to your brain. Then okay. when you come off clonazepam, you know, has a, post-acute withdrawal kind of feeling that goes right. on. Right. That's what while. I'm afraid of. Well, I get it. But that, again, that's something way down the road for you. But that goes on for a while. And that too can affect your ability to concentrate and all that, you know, so it, it can, you know, I guess IQ performance is is affected, but it's not going to be your, your actual IQ. Um, yeah. Uh, though, uh, Ativan has been associated with injuries like that. I've never seen it from Clonopin. Really? That's mm-hmm. good to know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would say I also am maybe going slower because I'll anticipate withdrawal symptoms and then yeah, 
Well, you have anxiety and OCD. That's still going to yeah, be there. So then that's still going to kick even. back in, man. That's going to be. That's why I was sort of thinking, you know, don't stop the Zoloft. Maybe add gabapentin, things like that. But thank you so much, my dear, for your call. I've got other people I got to get to here. I, God bless you. That that is a rough struggle, but stay with it. it should, and go to iocdf.org. This is a uh, Werner, I think next. Werner's Werner's GC. My goodness. This looks kind of interesting. Okay, there we go. So I have a question. Mine is what is your opinion on long term COVID for no no pharmaceutical drugs but hyperbaric oxygen chamber at two ATA around three times three times. I've a week. heard of people doing stuff like that and uh yep. and, and then it works. A lot of yep. things work and then a lot of things don't work. <laughs> so okay. But I've absolutely heard of that. Yes. I, I think that if you have access to that kind of thing, why not? Why okay. not? I, the only reason I say that is uh, six years ago, I had a traumatic brain injury and they had me uh, no brain response for 50 days. And uh, they had me on ECMO. My lungs hit right. Um And so I they got eyes on me 50 days in with a little response. They found out my pancreas was bleeding out. Long story short is I, they put a plaque in Portland Emanuel's, one of their biggest miracles that got out of the trauma center there. I've, I've tried quite a few things for my brain injury yeah. and I tried my hyperbaric oxygen chamber the first time a year ago, Yeah, I've probably over a hundred sessions and that thing really triggered my brain a lot. You know, uh, they've been using it for CTE also. Okay. I know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that was the quarterback during the, uh, eighties Chicago bears. Yep. 88, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name right now, but he has had, he had a, he claims have had a dramatically positive response to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, I was just, uh, I've never uh, done this before, but I wanted to just ask you about the hyperbaric. That I'm was- all for it. I'm a big, I'm a fan. I use it for wound repair, wound healing, all kinds of things. So no, I, I am a fan of hyperbaric oxygen. Well, listen, guys, I appreciate the calls and the questions and very kind of interesting. And uh, I think we're going to kind of wrap it up here. Uh, I will once in a while come on to Twitter. We do Twitter spaces sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. We add that to the streaming show where we're, we take a couple calls usually during that show. It's an interview show. We interviewing, uh, again, uh, physicians and uh, researchers and people that have had outlying opinions that have not been particularly uh, well-received necessarily. I've learned a lot from, as I said, I've learned a lot. Uh, more recently, I've been learning about the history of bioweapons and how coronaviruses have been developed since the 90s and what's been going on in China. And Oh, my goodness. There's so many. It, feel, it felt like the during this, um, this COVID experience, it just kind of happened out of the blue to us. But when you really start to peel the onion down, this is something that's been brewing for a minute. Appreciate you guys coming in and, and, and staying with me during this Twitter spaces. I'm going to end it now. And I thank you for that. And uh, as far as this particular podcast go, uh, thank you so much for being here today and we'll see you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Thank you.